0: all right welcome on to dunked on here day six in the health and safety protocols i can tell you for certain that there's no way i could have played in a playing game against the new orleans pelicans uh i'm not even sure whether i made that joke on our 20 minute pod about deandre and i don't even remember doing that podcast (laughs) it's uh it's been a blur but I, i think it's mostly behind me here now and lots of news is behind us as well i think where we need to start of course is with the slightly maybe even more than slightly expected news that a the jazz lo and behold are listening on donovan mitchell and b that the new york knicks are the primary suitor
1: right and so this started with reporting i believe woge had it first that the jazz are showing a willingness to listen on donovan mitchell trade scenarios and well, well, and we should add also there's been plenty of reporting of saying that you
0: know that like from andy larson for example that no actually they were listening much before,
1: earlier. yeah ago. yeah exactly that they discussed it maybe even before rudy rudy gobert trade and that's not surprising considering Danny and she's gonna listen he's gonna talk it's not they're, they're not maybe and maybe they did a little bit of that to to garner to garner some intrigue when he became more fully on the market and this is a different trade negotiation than the one that we saw for there and we'll continue to see for Kevin Durant for a few different reasons one Donovan Mitchell is significantly younger he is 25 now will turn 26 before the start of the coming season. Also, Donovan Mitchell, to this point in his career, has not been as good as Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant in the conversation for best player in the world. And Donovan Mitchell is one of the better shooting guards if we're going to cal- cal- classify him as a two. Some teams will see him as a one and everything else. And also because the Jazz in particular, and this will come up in a few different facets during this conversation, could potentially be looking for a different kind of return. And what I mean by that is Brooklyn, because they owe... All of these picks to primarily to the Houston Rockets as a part of the the Harden trade, the incentive for them to be. Weak is diminished. That they, they it diminished does not mean zero. Like they're they we talked about those incentives and the swaps and everything else. However, the Utah Jazz now that they've traded Gobert for a pick centric package, their books are pretty clean. And if they traded Donovan Mitchell primarily for future assets, their team quality would be pretty weak. And so thus they could start maximizing draft capital right away. That is not the only path for Danny Ainge here. If they wanted to do Donovan Mitchell, they could do it for players that will help them more currently. They could do the players who are already in the league but are young path as well, you know, like current rookies, current sophomores, even just drafted players, you know, that came up. Jeremy Lamb, if those remember, was in the Harden trade after having just been drafted by the Houston Rockets. So I think there are a lot of avenues here. But the overwhelming dynamic difference between this and the Brooklyn situation is that if Utah wa- if Utah values the quality of their own draft pick this year, there's an incentive to move Don Mitchell earlier rather than later.
0: Yeah, their incentive is definitely aligned in that direction. And also, frankly, it's probably less of a big deal to have this happen deep in the off season locally than right during the middle of the season. And the Knicks are very motivated. If you know about all the CAA connections and that the Knicks uh, have basically been pursuing him since Leon Rose came in in 2020 and all of his New York connections, most of the reporting seems to have indicated that this is going to end up in New York. New York, uh, particularly if the Jazz are prioritizing draft picks, has the best package among other potential suitors. Miami is really the only other one that we've heard to really be interested. Obviously, Toronto is another one that's been banding about a little bit, but I don't think the Jazz are really that interested in, you know, obviously they'd be interested in Scotty Barnes, but he's not going anywhere in a Mitchell package. Um, So really kind of what this comes down to, uh, there are a number of factors at play influencing what the value is going to be. Obviously, Utah going to say, well, we got this for Rudy Gobert, and you're we think donovan mitchell is younger and better and on a cheaper contract and under contract for almost as long so give us even more than we got for gobert and we've got a deal the knicks will say hey what other offers do you have oh miami okay tell her here you don't even really want that guy he's he's gonna be matching salary duncan robinson that's bad salary going back we've got more expiring ish contracts than that we got way more picks than everyone else we'll offer you slightly more than anyone else can offer and that's where you're gonna get so that seems like kind of how the negotiations are going to go the question of who is going to cave off of either of those positions is an interesting one as you mentioned the jazz like I don't think they really want to go into training camp with Donovan Mitchell like not that Danny H can't handle the awkwardness necessarily but more just that they don't want to win games so they want to be like sending Donovan Mitchell home do they want this like massive distraction they'd like to get these young guys in if there are going to be young guys say from the Knicks, that you know they've got their your Quentin Grimes's and those sorts of guys those will be some inflection points in the deal as well and how how they get valued grimes just had himself a nice summer league so all, all of that is going to play out but it does seem like for the reasons we talked about namely that that's where mitchell wants to be and that the knicks can beat probably any other offer that he's going to end up in new york it's just a question of what the price is going to be
1: it's a question of what the price is going to be but also i something i consider in this is the different ways that an offer can be strong, and so the Knicks—they have some. I, I, you went through all of the different resources they have, but well I yeah, don't, no i I didn't. Let's let's go well, through that. Yeah. Now. Okay. I, I was talking about more like gribes and some of those things. Yeah. We could we could go through all of it. So from a pick perspective, and presumably that would be a key part of this deal, the Knicks have all of their own firsts moving forward. So that means if they want to ask for you know unprotecteds or swaps or something like that with their own, they have that. So you just consider that in the back of your in the back of your mind. You have all that on. Top of that, they have protected firsts from Dallas, which probably conveys in 23, Detroit, which could convey at any point over the next six years. The Wizards, that's like kind of a version of lottery protected descending starting in 23, but I'm guessing if that pick conveys, it's probably more like 25. If it conveys at that point, I think we have a Wattville on it. The Bucks pick in 25, assuming it's not top four. So none of those to me, that, so there's a lot in terms of, you know, if you use the Knicks specifically picks. You could potentially get upside if you think there are going to be down years towards the end of that. But the protections on the non-Knicks picks do diminish the absolute best case scenario is that if you think about the comparison between Danny Ainge's trade with the Nets, with the KG Pierce trade, and this is that not only, you know, those those non Knicks picks do they have, they're protected specifically against that upside. None of those become unprotected. They all revert to seconds. But the the Pierce-Garnett situation, those guys were older. I think Ainge saw the possibility, maybe not to the extent that it happened, that the Nets could be weaker towards the end of that. And if Donovan Mitchell, he's, you know, 25, 26 soon, one Wants to be in New York, then the odds of getting a pick that becomes the next Jalen Brown or the next Mark Fultz slash Jason Tatum—that's probably a little bit diminished. Yeah, you'd think
0: so. And the Knicks can always be the next, although I would certainly say that this regime's competence is higher than any that they've had really maybe since the Donnie Walsh era as far as at least having a plan and they've done a pretty good job of executing it it doesn't seem like RJ Barrett is going to be in this deal it doesn't seem like frankly Utah really wants him to be in this deal I don't think I want him to be in this deal either and it's been so interesting as you noted the different situation for example that Brooklyn is in and we're seeing this with Tyler Hero as well like oh man Tyler Hero sixth man of the year like and you know still on a rookie scale deal like oh oh no actually you're gonna have to pay him at least 20 25 million a year and possibly more than that and he's gonna want to max and so is rj barrett and oh oh well i mean do we really like as a rebuilding team like they this guy can't really be a tentpole piece for us i don't know if he's even gonna be tradable on this contract like eh, we'll just take some drugs (laughs) that's so uh whereas Brooklyn might be interested in guys who could actually play in the KD deal. So that that is kind of a fascinating dynamic and when the deal eventually does happen as it seems like it probably will. You never know, but uh how all this is going to fit together from the Knicks' perspective will be a very interesting question. Not that uh <laughs> not that that's been a huge concern for the Knicks at um, in the past, but but getting back to the idea of the Knicks future unprotected picks, like this seems like an, a regime that at least somewhat knows what they're doing and it isn't very interested in bottoming out. They may have a different coach at some point that could possibly change that at least within a given year so yeah I think if I am the Jazz I'm still gonna be prioritizing further away unprotected Knicks picks more than these other ones and what I'm saying is hey you give us your whole draft going forward as a starter and hey you know you'll still have these other picks that you could possibly use in other deals from the Knicks perspective I think they realize even with Donovan Mitchell this isn't a championship level team I don't really get the fit of him in front and frankly as two small guards we kind of saw how that worked for Utah's defense but again for the Knicks to get to where Utah has been the last few years I'm sure they'd be quite happy with that but I think the idea is you get Mitchell and now you can potentially trade for another star who might want to go there and then you're really cooking at that point in time the question just becomes what's left in the coffers so for New York to not pay too much here is critical as we've seen for example when the Lakers got Anthony Davis like yeah they won the championship that first year with someone usual circumstances, but they didn't have much left in the cupboard, and what they did have they squandered.
1: And that's also been a critic that's a criticism of mine of the last not of the jazz, but of the Timberwolves in the trade with the Jazz, where it was yeah. the, the picks that they gave up for Gobert made it hard to add that next piece. And also for the Atlanta Hawks in the DeJounte Murray deal. That when you when you give up that much so the Knicks are trying to balance this and finding if let's say this ends up being eventually a Knicks Jazz deal, the number of firsts I'm sure there will be some excited tweets about the historic number of picks involved in the trade. Which firsts far more important than the number of firsts in this deal because of the disparate quality of some of these different resources and some of them just potentially reverting into seconds or you know not a ton that not a ton else that's there um the, anything else can be a
0: yeah, yeah i was gonna say this can't really be a watt photo because it's hard to measure objectively but when it's said and done are we gonna look back on this next at the time of the trade obviously much depends on the fortunes of minnesota and new york going forward but are we gonna say the jazz got more for go Gobert or Mitchell gobert
1: especially how because does that seem especially because they took no negative contracts like the idea of how that how that all worked I mean we I think we're going to see Danny Ainge and the jazz flip some of the pieces in the Gobert deal for positive value moving forward like Patrick Beverly if they you know if they yeah. make a Mitchell trade and want to do it and I would cons- personally I would consider those further assets in the gobert trade if you take Patrick if you take Patrick Beverly or I mean Walker Kessler you could just keep him Vanderbilt you could just keep him But if you end up moving some of those, like they, that is another thing. Now, the Knicks don't have that much bad salary either. So they could do it in that trade. But I think they get more for Gobert.
0: Yeah, and let's see what players come back from the Knicks, too. Like, surely Utah will probably be saying, hey, give us your whole draft. And then we want Obi Toppin, I mean, you know, quickly, Quentin Grimes. And, you know, and some of that's going to be because we also got to take back. Fournier, probably. Yeah, I mean, Rose will surely be in this because he's an expiring contract and you don't really need him once, but that'd be the second time Rose got traded to Utah. And probably, although I don't think he'll necessarily get bought out. He maybe will play there and get flipped. But uh, he, he, in 2018, he gets, got sent there and bought out too. And that's, that's how he ended up in Minnesota and resurrected his career. But in any event, yeah. So I think that for the Knicks, quickly, Grimes, Toppin, if I could move Toppin and save some future draft equity, I would certainly do that if I'm the Knicks. Probably quickly too, honestly, because again, with Brunson and Mitchell, I do really need another small guard at that point so if you if you can save yourself a future first by putting quickly in the deal i would do that as the knicks grimes to me is the guy he's still more of a two than a three but he'll he fits next to he's like the one guy in this team who can shoot other than you know will probably be in this deal and uh you know so so grimes will be really important i think for them to keep going forward just to have a good team of course the other question will be you know what does this mean for julius randall who will be now probably the fourth option a role he is uh Ill-suited to play uh, uh on both ends and uh, as a complimentary player, so they'll be looking to move him. And uh, Randall's big extension that he signed on a three-plus-one just kicks in now. <laughs> Although, uh, granted, Randall did play better down the end of last year. I don't think he's going to shoot quite as terribly as he did, but he's also just not going to get as many opportunities as he did in in the last two years with the Knicks. Either probably no matter where he is going forward. But clearly, they would really want to move him, but that's that might be difficult. So they're going to have a lot of even if they. They get Mitchell and they get Brunson like they're gonna have a lot of work to do building this team into something that actually makes sense and I think they've done far better with talent identification and with building up their resources in the draft like Brock Aller gets a lot of credit for that in their front office and obviously having a tactically Neanderthal coach doesn't help you much there either so they're gonna have a lot of work to do here assuming that they do get Mitchell but I'm fascinated to see where this ends up because the Jazz being able to create leverage in the same way that they did in the gobert trade the gobert trade was apparently i like, ah, will just keep them unless you meet our price that's less compelling now that they've already traded gobert yeah.
1: so can they can they manufacture other suitors and part of the way they might manufacture other suitors is teams that would enjoy seeing the knicks pay more like for example the miami heat yeah but again i mean miami
0: it's been said they can only trade two first round picks they can probably uh, most likely trade three even now with first available draft they could go back to okc for the 90 Seven billionth time to try to make 2025 unprotected i might not actually even agree to that fmokc i don't know how much more miami can really offer them yeah, you know, Miami can offer some swaps and stuff as well. Uh, obviously, we're, apologies for the error on the KD trade where we off gave them too many swaps potentially to offer, but they can still offer three picks in theory going forward. And But I think you would rather have Knicks picks than Miami picks, and I don't think Hero is something that the Jazz are really interested in, and the matching salary is going to be Duncan Robinson, which I actually think could be rehabbed and flipped. Like, I, I think he, the league is way too down on Duncan Robinson right now, just the fact that Max Strus is better is no huge stain on Duncan Robinson, particularly as a regular season player. But unless somebody else gets involved, maybe a Toronto or something, but then Toronto and potentially Miami are kind of holding on for this KD thing to resolve too. So I expect this is going to take a while unless the Knicks cave and just offer so much right now but if I'm the Knicks I'm not going to do that I'll take this in a train camp fuck it like let's Espe- gonna,
1: especially when you're team not team. you're not pushing as hard like seating does matter for this year but this is not a trade just about 22 23 like you can no. you can line things up for the playoffs for future years and if you know there's no reason to just give everything right now and you know, oh you get the two seed that you would you need that to win the championship this year um one other piece and, of and
0: that's oh, what, go ahead. sorry one more thing I mean I, on Mitchell too you know between him. Gobert him him being only 25 you know that that's pretty remarkable three years left on his deal and this is the sort of guy where players like this don't become available this early on that's a a new trend right it's basically you know even AD he's a little younger than Mitchell so I think he was 26 when he got traded but he only had one year left on his deal at that point but obviously there was a thought that he would extend and be with the Lakers for a long time that's what ended up happening that in theory is what's going to happen now in New York as well and so that's the fact that he's this young and can be around for a I mean that just you know, Kyrie I think had two years left on his deal so he might have been a little bit later on when he got traded but usually these guys are, are further so in terms of age this isn't quite unprecedented with Mitchell but in terms of time remaining on the contract it is and so presumably the Jazz will be looking for a huge halt but I'm just not really sure how precisely they are going to get it or at least force the Knicks into it and so may at some point Utah be like hey you need this guy you want him to start the season and you want to win the press conference and do the Knicks cave the way the Lakers did or do the knicks say yeah we'll give you an offer that's better you know slightly better than the other offers that you have and and maybe utah will just say no we're not trading him for that because we're pissed off that you guys have essentially tampered with him for the last two years and fascinated to see where this ends up all right i think i'm done on that unless you got anything else
1: no uh the one thing i want to add in as a different piece of jazz news they signed simone fontecchio who had played at basco Simone, sorry. Um, he, it's
0: it's okay. We he, I've been screwing up. Uh, Paulo Banquero.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm sorry. So, no, I I just screwed it up again. Paulo Banquero. Um, there
1: so Fontecchio, um, I was unfamiliar, played at Pasconia. 26 years old. Um, Gavoni said that he, John Gavoni said that he is the best available international small forward prospect. He will be a member of the Jazz for the next two years, two years, 6.25 million. The Jazz have plenty of financial flexibility now after the Gobert trade. We'll see how much they have after a Mitchell trade should one occur. And the next thing to talk about briefly, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this, is when we recorded that podcast after the Aiton signed. And match our assumption had been at the time that this was going to be the three plus one full bells and whistles 15 percent trade bonus all that that ended up not being the case the deal Aiton signed with Indiana that then you know got matched and substantial you know the whole thing with the Suns does not have an option for the fourth year and does not have the trade bonus so that is good for the Suns that means that Aiton couldn't find a team that was willing to offer that anywhere else because do that and it's also notable I would say in some ways kudos to the Pacers because they signed a deal that was more team-friendly, that they were more comfortable with, even though there was a distinct chance that became a reality almost instantly that the Suns were going to match.
0: And Casey Johnson noted this because he lived through this saga back in 2018, that it was a similar offer sheet to the one Zach Levine, who had the same representation, uh, Bill Duffy and company, as Zach Levine back in 2018. Uh, Aiden Aiden and Levine both had that same representation, sorry. That also was just a full four-year offer sheet with no option. And I was probably, I didn't focus on this enough in our initial analysis like great job by bill duffy like he played it right he got uh, his client the offer that he wanted eventually and so really good work by him and whatever it was that inspired the pacers to do this and i mean if i were them i would have just given him the full boat meanie offer sheet maybe it's just that herb simon still doesn't believe in that he maybe herb simon didn't want to get stuck with a, an offer sheet where he would have to pay 50 percent of the contract in cash by october 1st <laughs> that could be part of it too. Too. but in any event that was surprising uh, to see an offer
1: sheet like that
0: a few other contract minutiae john Wall's second season is actually a
1: team option with i actors. really like that for the clippers by the way enough. yeah and so that mitigates some risk in case john wall doesn't look great and i don't expect to see the you know opt-out non-bird rights way to, you know, because you could theoretically do that with John Wall. And I think it would be more likely to use early bird rights. So you pick up that option or maybe would do a, you know, Batum where you, the the option gets, the option gets declined and then you bring it back. You know, it could be a circumstance like that, but the 20% raise off of John Wall's salary probably not enough if he ends up establishing himself as the starter of the president future but for the clippers i mean you get out of that i thought this might be a one plus one instead it is a, a second year team option so good negotiating yeah. for I mean, The Craig.
0: clippers generally for a player like this who just hasn't played that long like to be in the tax situation they are and be giving up a player option could have been difficult if he got hurt again or something and we saw them just recently decline the team option on zubats uh, and then uh, give him a little bit longer of a deal so maybe they could do that uh, with the wall they have the flexibility to do that rather than if it were a non-guarantee they couldn't have changed it anyway. so i think the team option rather than the non-guarantee is the correct approach here um where do you want to go next
1: well we can talk about zion as we're doing kind of contractual minutiae it it does appear that according to dspn that zion williamson's extension the structure is similar to dwell a bead where it is not fully guaranteed but it is going to take letting him go and letting him go early to get out of that and so you know you I, i will i haven't seen the exact contractual language in zion's case yet but in the after the Embiid circumstance my read on it which is what i did the whole time after i saw it was treated as guaranteed and then if something really bad happens then we will of course assess at that time
0: yeah and we don't know precisely what it is and what body parts it could be the foot it could be his knee those are the two things that he he's struggled with but it's still and we don't know when the triggers are as far as when it would guarantee and is that related to games played or not, as well. So it's similar to Joel. We always thought that that would be the touchstone. That was one that, well, in theory, it's more one of these things where you can go to the owner and say we're protected, and it looks like you weren't negligent if things go wrong. But like you said, the only way that this is going to protect the Pelicans, probably, or that they would even want it to protect them, is if he suffers just he's missing like the next two seasons or something like or. He he misses all of this year maybe at that point they might consider moving on for him but and i'm not sure i think they they're still understanding that it's like at least 100 million is fully guaranteed and then maybe the next couple of years are non-guaranteed but you know again only protected if there's an injury to this one body part or whatever so it's it'll all be pretty complex but the upshot is it probably doesn't protect the franchise that much unless it's just like such a severe issue where he's just like not playing at all for multiple seats between now
1: we also got Deeply disappointing news from the Pels in Summer League where second round pick AJ Liddell out of Ohio State had been looking good and came back in a game. It seems like it was unrelated, but he, he goes down with a right knee injury that becomes a torn ACL. And Liddell, I believe he was the 41st pick in the draft. Had not yet signed his first NBA contract, so this is a very complicated situation with the Pelicans. Maybe you give him like a two-way, or you work with something like that. And both sides are probably gonna, you know. And, and but remember, the Pelicans have part of the reason this is such a complicated situation is that the Pelicans have a roster spot issue. And so if they give a fully guaranteed contract to Liddell, which they may have been intending to do before the injury, then they're burning a roster spot for this entire league year on somebody who cannot play for them. And I th- I think this is gonna end up being something with a two-way and then you make him whole maybe you you convert him at the beginning of next year like you could even structure it as a two-year trade
0: deadline or something or you know willie hernan gomez gets shipped off at the deadline or they they wave garrett temple and and they they try to find i mean they have their full mid-level still so yeah that's probably how they end up playing with this but yeah this is i think the first time we've seen a guy because he hasn't signed his contract yet as you noted so for him to suffer this injury and it used to be that a lot of agents would be like wait if you haven't signed your contract yet like we're just not gonna have you play in summer league and so you probably uh the pals i assume will make him whole in that regard and he probably would have ended up with something where with the full guarantee this year and maybe a partial next year for the 41st pick that's a, about what the market has been for guys like that that's right around the borderline where guys start taking two ways as well so maybe it's not insane that he starts off on a two-way at least in this point at this point in time but we'll have to put a pin in this one to see where it ends up because this is a rare situation where a guy gets injured before signing a contract who's a second round pick. Obviously if he's a rookie scale guy and he gets injured, well, you know, that's still the contract that you have to sign, right? Like they they have to tender him that offer and then he can take it.
1: We we don't have a ton of signings. We'll get to some of them, but we have fully entered non-max extension season. So there's oh, that yeah, ma- yeah, there's yeah. that max extension window. You know Zion and Darius Garland and all all, all those guys. John Rant, That happens. And when the non-max contract extensions come in, it's always a question because you know it it these are often market setting circumstances. They're a year out, so it's not like Anthony Simons where this is replacing their cap number, or anything like that. You're doing this. You're doing this looking ahead and also these are important signposts in terms of where different teams and each is different but where these teams and players are seeing the league's finances going because you know like and i think you will see some higher numbers than some would expect because of the expectation that revenues and potentially the salary cap will be going up for a couple of years and i think the place to start is in san antonio kelton johnson four years 80 million and that's a non-max number but it is a damn high one I like Kelton Johnson a lot. He, of course, was on Team USA. He can be in the in the forward mix for them. But this is also significant because San Antonio still has an ungodly amount of cap space, 423, should they want to use it. But Keldon Johnson making, let's call it 20 million, it's probably going to be a little bit less than that once we see the actual terms. If I mean, I would actually front load this as the Spurs, but you don't usually see that happen. But the reason why is because it's way higher. It's about 10, 8 to 10 million higher than his cap hold. So that space is vaporized. But for Kelda Johnson, you get that money now. You get it committed to now. You don't actually receive it.
0: Yeah, so the four-year 80, I'm guessing, as is the want for these sorts of deals, there will be some incentives involved. So bake it in at maybe more like 18, 19 a year in sure. terms of what the initial cat number will be, depending on how he plays this year, whether those will be considered likely or unlikely incentives or not. There'll probably be some stuff based on team success, which uh, eh, Spurs may not have done that this year. Johnson would have had a... 11.6 million dollar cap hold for next year and so this will probably bump that up as you mentioned you you might start it big and decline it i don't think the spurs are going to be big cap room team this seems like they're starting on more of a lengthy rebuild there are going to be other teams that are further along in the cap space derby like okc and houston next year so I, like you i would probably start it earlier and decline it the only downside for that is that as you get further out into this deal declining it you may be unable to build enough. Another palatable extension on the end of that for either them or a trade suitor but this is totally fair for Johnson who had a, a nice year average in the high teens hit 40 percent from three although not a huge volume guy he's still not a, an incredibly respected shooter yet but I, I think this is fair value for player and team and we'll also consider the fact that two of these seasons will for all these extensions now we're going to start talking about that two of these seasons will be under the new TV regime and uh, I think this will end up being being, you know, yeah all right you compare this to og and Inobi, og Ananobi is better than him but og and Inobi got a player option and that was
1: and a shorter contract two years.
0: Yeah. yeah uh well well via the player option sure yeah uh it was a three plus one rather than four but and i think the we talked about this offline the timing of this it's rare that a non-max rookie scale extension will be signed this early robert williams actually was an interesting one for last year my thought would be that the spurs are like hey we need to get this done now because if you're Not willing to agree to an extension, like we you may be in some trade talk, and that that's why they were able to get it done, and they offered him something that was pretty fair. And I'm sure for both the player and the agent, being able to get to that round 20 million a season figure probably played it in this also. So I think that this is exactly what a rookie scale extension for a non-max guy is supposed to where you're probably paying him a little bit more than the production he's shown so far, but a worthy gamble for a team for a player who with the cap rising could outperform this certainly by the end of this.
1: and Johnson, the coming year will be his age 23 season, so it'll be his age 24 and beyond. And we also got yeah. significant... And, and by the way, nice find
0: there with the number 29 pick and nice shot yeah. by Johnson working through to get a huge payday when he really hadn't made much in his career because he's the 29th pick before that.
1: We also got significant, I would argue more surprising Spurs news from friend of the pod, Jake Fisher, that Chip England is leaving the Spurs at the conclusion of his contract. I don't think we know yet when the conclusion of his contract is, but these shot doctors have made a huge difference in a couple of franchises. We talk about England a lot. We talk about Fred Vincent a lot on the Pelicans. We don't know exactly what Chip Englund wants, what, what this is potentially him leaving means. But if he wants another job, he should be exceedingly sought after.
0: Yeah, now he is 61. It's been positive that maybe he's just going to ride it off into the sunset and particularly do that if this were, in fact, Pops last year. So let's see. But yeah, he should be sought after. I think compared to... Fred Vinson, who, who I, I saw working by the way with Dyson Daniels and he's uh he's, he's gonna have some work to do with Dyson Daniels <laughs> for sure but uh I, I trust him to make some improvements there England's work at Kawhi Leonard was to star pupil Tony Parker became a very good inside the arc shooter although never really a good three-point shooter and that's probably the biggest complaint about England and the Spurs in general is that they didn't push guys to develop their three-point shot as much particularly like on the move three-point shooting the way say a team like Miami has done with a lot of guys so i I think you know he's had some failures too like kyle anderson although again he made kyle anderson a pretty good mid-range shooter and he always had that potential but uh, and there have been other successes for sure Dejounte is another guy too who is three got a little bit better but the mid-range got a lot better so i don't think Engelin's his track record success might be a little overstated but still very good and as you mentioned i mean for a real shooting coach with a real track record of success to me especially for a young team like i might consider paying that guy more than the head coach (laughs) on <laughs> like you're not going to be in the playoffs so you don't need some unbelievable tactician or anything like that. What else we got here?
1: We can continue on the extension front with Kentavious Caldwell-Pope just acquired by the Denver Nuggets and that deal involving Monte Morris and Will Barton and KCP, 2 years, 30 million after this year, that fits under the extended trade restrictions and it means that the Denver Nuggets look like they're going to be a luxury tax paying team for the next couple seasons as well. Which which is something that we talked about the significance of that when they signed Bruce Brown. But so KCP, this will cover his age 30 and 31 seasons as presumably a starter in Denver. Yeah, and KCP now
0: finally is maybe getting pretty close to that offer that Rich Paul turned down that I would have told him to turn down way back in the summer of 2017 as a restricted free agent. And then he ended up going to the Lakers and uh, on a series of deals there that fluctuated in value. And now uh, sending another deal with the Lakers, moving to Washington. This last year was non-guaranteed. That got guaranteed. Now he's got another 30 million or so. So he's finally been largely made whole in the end. And he's played on some better teams than he would have uh, in Detroit as well and won an NBA championship. So it's worked out for him. In the end, Yeah, another one that just seems like fair value. Also noteworthy that this will not prevent him from being traded. It is short enough and has small enough raises that that will not be a, an issue. It only goes two years and doesn't have more than a five percent raise.
1: Which is also which is also how it was legal for him to sign it right now because he was just traded. So the extended trade rules kind of they're they're kind of dual sided in the sense that they prevent you from being traded, but they also you know if you, if it's allowed right after a trade as well. And this yeah. is a so, second. So
0: this is based and I think that probably. helped it out to yes of just like hey this is the most we can offer you and they also gave him the player option
1: they did that's where i was going to go and so kcp he could theoretically get out on the open market in 24 because this will cover the 20 wait uh yes the 23-24 season is the one that is that is locked in and then he could become a free agent in 24 or 25 depending on what he chooses and and let's let's note this
0: too we've seen denver they've done a number of these player options to retain guys whether it's been Jamichael green whether it's jeff green or retain or attract guys will barton as well and you know Jamichael green they did a a series of player options with him and then they had to pay to get off of that eventually but they had his services for a couple of years so this has been a tactic that's largely i would say had decent success for them but also there's a possibility of it getting you in trouble particularly for a team that's not gonna be getting any cheaper
1: let's go from there to oklahoma city where Fairly shortly before we started recording, Kenrich Williams and the Thunder agreed on a four-year 27.2, very specific number, million-dollar contract extension. Um, It looks like, uh, for Joe Masato, that the final year of that is a team option, which is a parallel with Lou Dort. And Kendrick Williams, you know, he his contract wasn't even fully guaranteed for the coming season, and then now he gets four years after that. And I mean, remember how he even
0: ended up in an OKC to begin with. He was the only reason he was there, he might not have even had a contract for that season, but they needed salary matching for the Steven Adams deal. That was back right. when Steven Adams was making like 28 million. So they threw him in. It had to be a three-year deal, making like two million a season. I think the last two years were non-guaranteed, and he's been a, a great culture guy there we questioned why he wasn't traded i don't know that there was a first round pick for him and now he's going to be part of what they're doing uh, as a backup for
1: right and six seven million a year for williams who i think is a rotation caliber player is Good money for him to lock in, but also for the Thunder with where we think salaries are going to be going over the next couple years. You know, there's some parallels here with Conchar, except that I think Williams has established himself significantly more than Conchar has. Also older, which is a consideration, but also this plus the Lou Dort deal changes the equilibrium a little bit for OKC in the summer of 23. This the two deals combined knock about 15 million off of OKC's ledger, off of their cap space, for that year still have you know plenty if they want to if they want to get into it so my rough estimate there is they're looking at about 30 to 35 million and it would be very easy for them to clear more than that should they want to and the timing on that could be fortuitous depending on how this year goes with chad and giddy and shea and everything else but these are real commitments that they're making to two players and Uh, speaking of the
0: the commitment though i'm guessing there's going to be
1: some sort of a non-guarantee or team oh there's a team option on the last year yes oh oh that came out already Yes, yeah. There's a team option on that last year. So OKC, they're spending some money, but they, they're they doing it on guys that they like. And OKC does have this time that they're going to have to spend money. But remember that it might be more of a temporary thing because Giddy and, you know, the hope is that Giddy and Jang and Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren are going to be good enough that they're going to sign significant second contracts. And so if it might be a, the Thunder's spending power might be a little bit overstated here. I think that's something to kind of think about about over the next year is that if Presti gives out a big contract unless of course they move Shea, then the timeline shifts a lot if they give out a big contract let's say in 23 the a long one the last couple of years of that could run into chad and giddy and poku if he ends up being good enough Their new contracts via extension or restricted free agency and so the cap will be going up seems like and everything else but there this this team might be a, the cake might be a little closer to baked in terms of salaries than something
0: yeah uh, that could well be the case but this also isn't necessarily a free agent destination the sure. way say houston yeah. is and they they were very fastidious about building slowly the last time they did this as well. Also interested to see they have the extension negotiations coming up with Darius Baisley now. I want to see whether he's going to get extended and whether he's part of their plans or not. I would be pretty reticent to extend him if I were OKC because as we've noted basically nobody's going to take a rookie extension for less than 10 million a year and I would want to commit to Baisley with that his cap hole to be about 13. Let's see whether he actually makes it as a main part of this rotation. He's probably going to be playing behind Chet at this point in time. We'll see who, who you know, with some of the other fours that they have in here as well, how he's going to fit in with that group. And I, I wouldn't be in a hurry to send him.
1: We've also seen a number of high second round picks signing long term deals. Josh Minot, four years, six point eight million. We'll have to see what, what the I haven't seen the guarantees on that. Caleb Houston yeah, signed it, with the it, Magic. That,
0: that's good for him to not be on a on a two way drafted at forty five yeah. at the at that point.
1: I was very impressed. We will talk about him when we do our summer league recaps. And then Jabari Walker, a real success story, fifty seventh pick in the draft, and then was a part of the summer league champion Portland Trail Blazers, but parlayed his success there into a fully guaranteed year one partially guaranteed year two and non-guaranteed year three with the Blazers so they're getting pretty close in terms of roster spot guys I have Jabari Walker as their 15th fully guaranteed contract
0: that's a very nice deal for the 57th pick of draft right and he earned that with a nice summer
1: yeah and and Portland could theoretically open some up like for example Didi Lozada is 100% guaranteed they could find a new home for him and I I presume the Blazers are going to trade at least one player under contract right now to try to duck the tax they I actually should probably do two would be the way to actually do it. And then you sign one to replace them eventually in time the Toronto Raptors I brought this up last time we recorded kind of did a transactions recap with DJ Wilson so it was another one of those partial guarantees bring him in and see if they're going to make it he got 250k the Raptors are have re-signed Justin Champagny who did well for them last year and Blake Murphy has done a a nice job recounting this you can see his his Twitter thread on it that it looks like the same story is going to be placed for the Raps again this year so Champagny has reportedly 325,000 guaranteed Delano Banton has 300 DJ J. J Wilson has 250, Armani Brooks has 50,000 and they can't fit all those guys on the reps and they still have, you know, some of their non-taxpayer middle level, there are other ways that they could add talent. They still haven't signed Colocol yet. they their second round pick. But the idea of giving these guys enough money, you know, a significant amount that doesn't preclude them from other opportunities should be there and you retain whoever does best. I really like it as an approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really like that and remember it was Sam Decker and Isak Bonga last year, neither of them ended up figuring much in the end. But yeah, could, a, a lot of teams can benefit from a camp competition, and However, we could
1: we you, could even see them cut SV in favor of multiple of these players. You know, like I, I don't remember the exact roster spot numbers because I don't usually think about that until training camp starts. Like they, I could see the Raps cutting somebody on a guaranteed contract if they really like these guys. Yep, I, I think that totally makes sense. Did we do the Connaughton extension last time? I don't think we did. So Connaughton, he opted in at, for a lower, no, you know, we didn't expect that because we thought he could get more on the market and also years, not dollars, could have gotten more years. Instead, he gets a three-year, $28.5 million extension that is going to kick in for the 23-24 season. It is proper to think about this as a 40-year, $36 million deal, I th- but he's getting more of a raise in year two than would have been allowed under the collective bargaining agreement. I'm less confident that that structure is actually good for the Bucs. It's very good for them in the short term If the idea of they're expensive now. We don't know where things are going to go. But now, like the Bucks, as I kind of, you know, as I'm starting to estimate it they're barely below the tax line even without brooke lopez or filling out the roster for next year so they're they're cheaper having content on discount this year but they're gonna get expensive for 23 24 and beyond
0: yeah and let's not forget chris middleton could potentially be in the last year of his contract sure as well so this is something i'll probably talk more about when we do the bucks season outlook but this could be a little bit of an inflection point for this group where you know if, if they have another second round exit this year they still have Giannis, but it'll only be under contract for two more years after that not saying he's necessarily a huge flight risk but this could be the last year of this iteration of the Bucks, unless you see things change a lot but maybe chris middleton would just opt into his player option as well if things go poorly for him so uh they might look to move middleton possibly or they could just go out and win the championship again too so uh, but and and you mentioned lopez coming to the end of his deal so it may be that they will be needing a reset but they won't have a lot of ammo to do that let's see how this year works out for milwaukee
1: We forgot, neglected to mention I brought up Josh Minot. Austin Rivers signed a one-year minimum deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and could be a factor in the rotation we'll see how exactly he fits in once the tim Connolly roster gets closer to completed
0: yeah they needed just uh, one of someone to replace that patrick beverly role which he's not as good at as beverly and nor is he as good of a shooter but just as someone who can kind of be somewhat of a defense specialist off the bench and at least bother guys a little bit for the minimum that's a, a good role for him and he'll be replaced in denver in that role it looks like by probably uh devon reed
1: yeah or i mean bruce brown i could consider an upgrade but the idea of a defense Uh, uh, yeah actually you're right sorry yes um mark stein had it that the league might investigate the sixers for pj tucker if an investigation comes it's presumably from a complaint and that complaint would presumably come from the miami heat which would be notable considering they could have offered him basically the same contract for philly and- oh man I, I mean
0: the pot kettle action in these tamper I, and this is this is probably just miami being like all right finally you, you're <laughs> gonna find us make us go through all this bullshit last year for kyle Lowry. <laughs> everyone's doing yeah. this yeah so and, fine. and, I'm, and I'm also gonna like do it again
1: happen to you know if you happen to get knock another competitor in your division the second round pick you know that the league's just going to do that pretty easily then but they, might as well do not it not in the same division oh no All i mean same conference how could you forget no same conference is what i meant division. like competitors yeah. they're competitors of each other yeah. and we still don't know the, the exact the terms. eastern
0: division right like pre-1969 pre- yeah. that's what you're talking about
1: we, we still don't know the exact terms of james harden's contract but chris haynes had the reporting that harden basically that he, or reporting i think Harden just told him that he told the sixers he would take whatever was left over after they did the things to make the team better and it looks like that's kind of where the numbers are going to shake out on that one plus one structure and Harden sacrificing for the current year to have significantly better teammates will it will have an impact and they're going to be we already talked about this at length but the negotiations that I think will occur in 23 are going to be hard to predict
0: yeah well and we'll see whether it's a good problem or a bad problem for Philly based on how he and the rest of the team form this year
1: sure we also got a an agent change that i think is significant around the league and this especially was so weird it was so weird so i mean i'll let you i'll let you talk about it first i guess uh, yeah so
0: i just don't uh thad Fouche, i think it's how you pronounce his name only ever seen it in print because i don't really talk to up but has been russell westbrook's agent and for what has been an extremely <laughs> successful career from 2008 all the way until now westbrook has made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars navigated him through a few messy exits from places, getting him to a new place where he wanted to play, got him to L.A., and Fouche released a statement, basically slamming his own client of 14 years. It seemed like he was trying to get ahead of any narrative in which he said, essentially, L.A. is the best place for you. My position is you needed to change to do what they want you to do. You think there's somewhere else for you where you're going to get traded, or you could go, or if you get traded and bought out, that you could go where you get to let Russ be Russ again. That place doesn't exist anymore for you. I tried to tell you that you need to actually change your game and defend and play off the ball more and. Set some screens all the shit that we've always wanted russ to do and the lakers desperately wanted him to do last year he's not capable of doing anything other than that for a team that's remotely decent at this point so that it's gotten to the point now where it's like even his own agent is trying to tell him the truth and he still can't see it and then released a statement to that i mean that's the thing that i just i can't what is an agent ever released a statement about to get out ahead of a player leaving him basically slamming that player after 14 years and i mean how weird must things have gotten that he felt like this is a good idea to do this i I just this has really gotten well beyond the point of you know the russ stands and the uh, versus the analytics people and what is russ over underrated i mean it's getting to the point where it's just a sad end to this like with alan iverson that's who who jovan compared him to in this piece and i think tim has done that too tim bontemps where it's just hey when it goes and you're just too stubborn to change or evolve like we may just never see him play in the nba again
1: danny like maybe that might be where this is headed it's so weird. Weird. I mean, beyond all the stuff, like as, as many people listen to the pod know, like I went to college with Russell Westbrook, and I, I feel like, and he, I remember him as the Pack then pac Ten, I believe, might have been pac Twelve. I don't remember uh, Defensive Player of the Year, and the idea that he was a, you know, like he he was the last scholarship offered on that UCLA team, and that he has had immense success. He is an unquestioned Hall of Fame player, deservedly won a regular season Most Valuable Player award, but could have a significantly different final act of his professional basketball life because he is unwilling to change his approach to be a smaller part of a bigger picture and that could create tension for the Lakers this year that could create tension for another team this year and i hope it changes i hope that you know what what fouche is getting at is, is the idea that there's still time and that things things could go in a different direction My instinct is that he does get another contract or two in the league after the current one. But the idea that his career will be shorter because he isn't willing to make the changes necessary seems a far more likely outcome at this point. And that's, to me, deeply depressing. Yeah, but it's also, yeah, it's just deeply depressing.
0: (laughs) We can just leave it there. Also on that score, hopefully not deeply depressing, but worrying at least, uh, Arturis Karnishevis was on NBA TV during the Bulls Raptors broadcast in summer league. And he said that Lonzo Ball is progressing, but not at the speed that we would like. And I hope that he is ready for training camp. And recall that he had this knee surgery on his meniscus, second surgery on that knee but it was a bone bruise that prevented him from returning he just had so many of these false starts and then stops trying to get back and you know, it seems like that's still they've still been going through that pattern honestly and there have been some other interviews with i think one with billy donovan in which the, the same thing was said that's a concern the bulls are not doing anything this season unless lonzo ball is able to
1: Right. It is. It is concerning. And they do have other good players on the guard line, but you need all of those guys available. I mean, that was part of the story that we saw last year with Chicago is even if they have their principles healthy and Zach Levine was dealing with some knee stuff, but they still need they need the ensemble. And Lonzo Ball is an important part of that ensemble, as are all of you, of course, the listeners to this wonderful podcast.
0: (laughs) Also important to NBA players is actually getting paid. And you'll recall the way the league's escrow system normally works is there is a projection for basketball-related income. Players during the season only get 90% of their paychecks and 10% of that is held into escrow. And then when you see how much money the players are supposed to get based on BRI at the end of the year, then they would get whatever percentage of that 10% back. In pre-pandemic times, with the cap rising and revenue rising, they generally would get that most of that back under this new CBA. And there's a band in which the players get between 51 and 49 percent of revenue based on, on how high revenue is. Then though, the agreement for the pandemic season was that their remember revenues decreased. I think by about 33 percent in the end due to the pandemic season, and then there also revenue decreases the next year due to the lack of fans in the stands. So they basically agreed that that escrow was going to be bumped up to 15 percent for the next few years. But the league's finances have recovered in a quite robust fashion so the players are actually getting half of that 15% escrow remember they're still paying the owners back for the owners essentially gave the players a loan during the pandemic and they're still kind of paying the owners back but they didn't have to use the full 15% to do that apparently according to Mike Vorken of The Athletic they only uh, ended up having to pay 7.5% of their paychecks in the end it's great news so I wanted to do something fun here obviously we've got off-season grades coming up although there's seems like there's a lot to get to still on that, uh we've got to go through all the important players. We try to do pretty much every full roster player that plays in summer league. That's a, that'll be a few podcasts. So we got all that coming up. Hopefully, once we're going again at, at full throttle, and we'll try to make up to you so, some of the missed pods over the last week or so. But I wanted to do something here for the first time while it is fresh in our minds, and take a look back at our top ten players in the NBA. This isn't going to be a full list at this point, but just to go. Go Through because remember, we do this almost as a playoff preview and take a look at how generally the way the playoffs played out affect our view of that list. Even if we're not necessarily going to reorder everyone in excruciating detail,
1: sure. So, my top tier was yeah. two gentlemen, Giannis and Kevin Durant. I yeah. had it, I guess, maybe we can do this as kind of like stock up, stock down, sure. Be a good way so, to, my, to, my, the, yeah,
0: to uh, our second Tim Bontems reference.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so that
0: was old school, yeah. So, Sorry, my. Go ahead
1: yeah so my tier one was Giannis and KD yeah I would say the playoffs you know Durant had a very short-lived playoffs they got swept but I thought he looked reasonably good during that so I'll say his stock is neutral during that time and Giannis I, I would say for KD I would I would say it has to be stocked down. yeah maybe I'll, he, it would he be, had
0: a really bad series.
1: he had a he had a weak series by his series. sure I guess I guess that's fair and then Giannis, and if you
0: compare because let's not forget too KD Giannis and Steph all played the Celtics they did and KD easily had the worst performance of so those three guys.
1: he also had significantly the worst surrounding talent, but he did have the worst whoa, performance. Whoa, whoa, in the- whoa, no, I wouldn't say that, certainly not on the offensive end. I mean, that they, they didn't have a theory of the case defensively, like they just didn't have guys.
0: Well, okay, but I, I, I'm not necessarily slamming him for his lack of defense well, a little bit, actually. I am, but uh, and uh, no, Ta- I'm Tatum saying, like, did
1: do a great job on him. Like, we should give Tatum, yeah, a lot yeah. Of-
0: I mean, like he had some games where he just looked like he couldn't do anything, and right. he wasn't really able to contribute much defensively or on the boards, like that was that was the biggest reason they got cooked and you know obviously he was playing you know 47.55 minutes per game at every game but you know he Kyrie Irving like he had some, some other decent players out there like had some decent shooters now it sucked that they pretty much had to have two non-shooters on the floor at all times because of their defense and you know it didn't fit together but I, he had more offensive talent around him than Giannis I would say with Middleton being hurt yeah yeah Giannis had no like Drew was the only other guy who could run pick and roll with him basically uh obviously Giannis was huge on the defensive end for a lot of that series, when KD was not. So, I, I so, so how, you, how would you how
1: would you have Giannis's stock after these playoffs?
0: Uh, I I would have to say probably stock up. Um, like he he was he, I don't know how he realistically within his capabilities could have played better in that Celtics series, and, and even to get them with how limited they were to where they had a three two lead in that series, and just some of the stuff that he was doing at the rim to the Celtics defensively was ridiculous. And yes, the Celtics strategy to some degree was hey let's let him get his but and they weren't able to get a ton of threes but they also couldn't hit a three to save their lives either like if they could have just converted some of these spot up looks, maybe it's a different series and yeah he ran out of gas in game seven in the second half but given the incredible load that he had in that series i think that's understandable. i mean it was that series to me wasn't quite at the level of kd's series in defeat against those same bucks in 2021 but it was like one of the all-time like great martyr jobs that we see
1: it was he, he played incredibly well and also the other reason why i would say it was a stock up is because he had an unbelievable playoff run in 2021 and having something this good gave us more you know it's kind of like the idea of you're fortifying the peak by showing this other thing that 21 wasn't a fluke at all like that Giannis is just this damn good
0: yeah and i think he really particularly fortified what he did in that phoenix series the free throw shooting wasn't as much of an issue either which is huge for him going forward so i i would have Giannis. i think i would have him number one now but probably not not in his own tier uh but yeah, KD's got to be stocked down. Like, he had, he had a bad series. Like, if, if he had played to the level that we expected of him, that series probably is competitive. At least more competitive. <laughs> and, and he wasn't able to impact the game in any way other than scoring. And, you know, he didn't really provide a great level of leadership. You know, I mean, if you compare the leadership of Stephen Curry and Giannis Nenokounmpo to where Kevin Durant has been over the last year or so. And, mm-hmm. I mean, also, like, even this trade request. Like, that's that plays into this, right? I mean, if we're talking about the top 10 players in the NBA and we're talking about having a guy to lead your franchise for a, a, a whole season. Like this shit fell apart on Kevin Durant's Watt.
1: My number three was Kyle Leonard. His stock hasn't changed at all because he hasn't played in a damn game. Yeah, how about uh, number four, Luka Doncic? He's probably be stock up. Stock up. I mean, they— uh, that, that,
0: he was number four for me. Was he four for you?
1: He was four for me as well. And Luka, he got to face. You know, remember it, it was we were so frustrated that he started off that playoff series hurt against the Utah Jazz, but I thought he did well once he recovered there, and then was. Extremely important to Dallas's win over the Phoenix Suns, and not only on the offensive end, and they targeted him a fair amount defensively, but in the games that the Mavs were at their best defensively, Luka was not that much of a defensive liability, and he had trouble against the Warriors. The Warriors are a wonderful defense that ended up winning the NBA championship. I would say stock up for Luka. He had a strong playoffs.
0: Yeah, and even without much surrounding talent, he definitely, I thought, easily caused the most problem schematically for that Warriors defense, and also with the five-out system to play. But I, I think if you ask them, like, who is the toughest guy to guard that we face this year? Uh, uh, maybe Jokic would be in there, too. He was pretty awesome in that first-round series. We'll get to him, at least on the offensive end. But yeah, I mean, Luka, getting that team, beating the 64-win Suns, basically completely bludgeoning them into submission, that unbelievable first half. That he had in Game Seven on the road. I, I mean that that was incredible. I mean, it's. I, I think i would i I might have him above katie mm maybe I'm being too harsh on Katie but it, again we're not gonna take official positions here we only do that once per year but uh, I mean it, again for he had a few defensive lapses I think coming off the calf injury was probably part of that as well so I, I but I'm uh he did everything that you could have hoped and when when they finally got a bracket not like it was an easy bracket but when they finally got a bracket that didn't include like the perfect matchup against him uh he was able to really influence Some team success as we really hoped that he would.
1: Well, and and I know this is going to be a very tough conversation. Stephen Curry, stock up or stock down?
0: (sighs) So, well, let's just revisit where we were on him. I had him in tier two at number five, and I think to have Steph Curry as of that time, remember, he's he's injured right at the start of the playoffs. He was, everyone was thinking of him as the MVP after the first two months when the Warriors were killing it, but their fortunes went downhill. So did Steph's. He couldn't hit a three. By his standards, we wondered, would Steph Curry be able to hit those sorts of shots through? And then he was coming back from the injury, too. But through two rounds, he was very good, but he wasn't able to hit those ridiculous threes. And then against Dallas and Boston, two teams who'd been very good defensively, particularly Boston, it clicked in. He had one of the all time best finals series, I would say. You know, only one bad game, just incredible efficiency. And, you know, that game four was one of the best finals games that that anyone has ever played. And certainly the the team. offensive performance, performance that he drove even up against Boston it was amazing but you know against like Dallas and and Denver where they're putting up you know 125 offensive ratings every game and he, he was he also just showed the ability to like blow by basically anybody uh, who could be switched onto him which is another thing that we hadn't seen as much from him doing it in a little bit different way not so much the dancing but just using his strength to turn the corner uh yeah I mean he outperformed any possible expectations they win the championship but I think it was even back then it was people Pick all of it. You guys really missed number five, Stephen Curry. Like he, he's got to go up. I completely agree with that. But I think number five and in a tier above Jokic and Embiid and LeBron would have been higher than just about anyone else at that point.
1: I think that's. I think that's fair. And I think did we have was our next our next tier for both of us was Jokic and Embiid and LeBron. Well, is well, that...
0: So so Curry's is, is stock way up. Yes, <clears throat> he's got to be above Luca. He just straight up outplayed Luca at this point. His defense also like held up really well. That's another thing too. Yeah, I mean. Steph Curry, I,
1: Steph Curry, it's not just like, can you be the best player in a championship team? He just was.
0: Yeah, So he's got to be above KD to me as well. Those guys are pretty much the same age. He played against the same team. I wouldn't say that he had worse surrounding talent on offense than KD, and he, he massively outplayed KD against the, the same opponent, and an opponent that actually that had Robert Williams playing in a lot of, the, of these games too. So really, it would come down to like Steph or, or Giannis. And clearly, if we're going to do this for next year going forward, Giannis has got to be higher than Curry because of just his greater regular season. Season an impact and Curry's gonna turn 35 in the playoffs next year but as we're just saying of like we're kind of more looking back like how good of a job did we do at the time and where should these guys have been at like based on what they did in the playoffs like it Steph and Giannis like neck and neck to me I think I would go Giannis ahead of him you get into stuff of like all right Giannis actually isn't that easy of a fit because he's a four who doesn't shoot he needs a Brook Lopez or a Bobby Portis next to him and that makes the team building a little harder in the playoffs but he also didn't have anybody around him and, and he can
1: also just be the five i mean we saw that too
0: yeah well in some matchups some matchup, other matchups you can yeah and but steph also just had a, a completely ridiculous finals against what i would say is a superior opponent to i think he i mean that's an interesting question of like did steph is his series better than Giannis's series against the celtics like they're just such different animals that it's, it's really hard to say that i mean both of those series were unbelievable so i would i would probably still put Giannis number one but i would i, I mean they get, they're in the same tier it's splitting hairs to me all right anything further to add there or should we move move down to the next group
1: let's move down to the next group i had Jokic and beat lebron did you have the same group yeah i did and Jokic,
0: the defensive concerns just as big as they always were he got completely traffic cone they they found a way finally in the last game of that series to defend a little bit better but the warriors couldn't hit shots in that series they they went out in a, a reasonable five game series in the end they were competitive the last three games they were a complete joke in the first two games <sighs> a lot of that was wasn't necessarily his fault he didn't play well in the first two games either but I thought he did figure out Draymond and his stats the last three games of that series on offense were completely insane they had nobody else around him he was going up against a great great defense right and and
1: that's where I wanted to go the degree of difficulty for Jokic individually offensively was incredibly high and I thought he he really did nail that and so my overall there would be
0: the Warriors were like you know finding their rhythm sure so at the start of that yeah I mean Curry Curry was coming
1: off the bench for a right. lot for that series and I think that Jokic the way I would describe it is it's stock up but not st- stock so far up that he's really threatening that top five so I feel comforted. I feel confident in the line I mean it also helps that the guys that I had at four and five they pushed up even higher like they had they had strong playoff runs but Jokic he he had a tough he had a tough job to do I thought he did it reasonably well so I'll go stock modestly up
0: yeah, I didn't see enough to break him into the top 5. I, I think uh, offensively if anything maybe he proved more. What
1: well, and and I but, think but, that yeah. those who were angry at us that we didn't have the two-time and m- regular season MVP, I don't think they got the ammo to really to to us with. Like I think that's another way of thinking about this is would people who were higher than us going into this get something or would they lose something and I, I think they would I mean because not necessarily because of how they lost the series but he, he was great but it, it didn't say like oh yeah you, Jokic can he can absolutely be the best player in a championship team if like with the defensive limitations if nothing changes
0: yeah I mean some of that defensive film was real real bad and, and now Steph Curry made a lot of people look very silly but Jordan Poole also made him look completely silly as well and he is a slightly different kind of player in that he can die dominate offensively and you you may have to double team him if you don't and and golden state probably had better guys to guard him individually than most teams but also like you can get away with playing jordan Poole on the floor if you're the warrior when he's out there right like so he's he's not necessarily going to like punish any matchup on the floor in a way that stress tests your defense as much but like again he was amazing offensively most of that series but he all like he did absolutely nothing to assuage my defensive concerns and in fact merely exacerbate
1: joel probably
0: got to be stocked down a little bit
1: especially especially because he was hurt again
0: like i mean and 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 the broken face this is a little bit different It was the broken face and the thumb this year neither of which are kind of have much predictive power but he didn't play very well he did hit that big shot against toronto like he was i thought he was pretty dominated against toronto in that first series even after messing up the thumb and like the way he ran the floor and stuff so like that that series to me was a little bit of a feather in his cap but then yeah i mean he was just couldn't do anything Thing really against Miami you couldn't even get the ball after it, the first couple of, of games in Philly and and so I, I think it, this is just one where it's like yeah I feel totally comfortable with where I ranked him LeBron uh, was not a participant in the playoffs so this is an interesting one Danny of you know Jason Tatum is the other guy who went deep into the playoffs here who was in my top 10 I had him at 9 I had him at 10 so can you go Tatum above Joel based on what happened in the playoffs?
1: there were times in these playoffs that I thought you absolutely could and and Tatum, I mean, yeah. the the de- not only the offense. I mean, there were some supernova games for him, of course, but also the defense he played on Kevin Durant in the first round, and what was was great. Tatum did get discombobulated by the Warriors, but so does a whole lot of really really good players, and. I think so there are two arguments that i think are fair to put to to move tatum up and to kind of kind of put him in this area for me with tatum though you you get into these questions of i think are so salient in with Embiid, and i like using him as a focal point of the the value positioning a uh, position and scheme versatility where if tatum is on your team you can have a lot of different other really good types of players around him but you can also have a lot of different theories defensively and they're different you know like in some ways and i've brought this up when we did the top 10 players before like Tatum's argument is a variation of the Anthony Davis argument that we had years ago where I don't still don't love him as the absolute best player but I love him as a number two much more than Joel Embiid so yeah I think he's worked his way into that conversation.
0: First two runs in particular, and he did have some bad games against the Bucs, but he absolutely dominated against the Nets. Great. His his individual defense against KD was ridiculous, blocking a bunch of times, and then that 46-point game on the road in Game 6 against the Bucs was one of the best performances that you're going to see. But it's worth noting and i think both miami and golden state showed this that against switches he's still not there yet as you a, a number one offensive guy they really had to make it work more as an ensemble type of cast there when he was able to go against conventional pick and roll defense or a bad defense it, he was able to be really really good now we've never seen joel in a conference finals we've never seen him uh, i mean I, I would say jason tatum's playoffs this year whether you want to say that he had some warts in the last two rounds may have run out of gas etc that playoffs far Exceeded anything that Joel Embiid has ever done. playoffs. agreed. Fair, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even close.
1: And I'm not as hard on Embiid sometimes in the playoffs as you are, but I still think that is completely fair.
0: Yeah, and again, it's still it's we're at the point now. Joel, he's in his late 20s. He's never had a deep good playoff run. Some of it's not his own his own fault. Some of it is injuries that are more. I don't want to say it's his fault, but are, are are more something that could have predictive value going forward as well. Like I think ultimately, like Joel Embiid has never played as well as Jason Tatum played in the playoffs for much of these playoffs so I, I think i probably and then you consider the health aspect as well you'd i you'd probably have to put jason above joel uh even if joel i think and also if you look at the impact metrics during the regular season jason tatum and joel are pretty close to one right I, in, in a lot of these so yeah i i mean i think joel it's like it doesn't seem like jason tatum is as good as him but i think he might have to be and you know we're kind of leaving out these guys like Kawhi and lebron he didn't play paul george as well so uh trey young stock up no, sir. <laughs>
1: no. I, and we, we wondered because. Trey Young got such a favorable draw in 21, you know, facing the Knicks, who didn't have the personnel to slow him down, and then the Sixers, who yeah. were limited Their defenses,
0: and, but ones that had to play him conventionally.
1: That had to play him conventionally. How would it work if he played against a team that didn't have to play him conventionally? And the answer was dark for Trey Young. I I don't yeah. think that it, he just he just fucking gave up by the end of that. Right, too. which which that. is it? Which is a significant demerit too, like that that he you know yeah. when when faced with a real adversity and just just kind kind of packed it up and went home that I don't I don't love that about Trey He was good
0: in the play and against the Cavs Yeah he was and so i mean not not you know i had trade ranked in like the 11 to 14 range like my 11 to 14 was trey ja booker I, lillard
1: i had him nine i yeah. would not have him nine right
0: now. yeah I, oh yeah that's right yeah you had him above tatum and george right I yeah i did yeah and also i think his defense was i mean we talked about the matchups offensively for him last year defensively as well he went up against three teams that really couldn't take advantage of him in the heat they didn't do it necessarily in the same way but some of the stuff they did by just, like, running a cross screen with his man for Jimmy Butler that the Hawks just, like, couldn't deal with in any way. And, like, that was it was a big problem. I mean, he'll play better, I think, in a, in another playoff matchup. And the Hawks were so injured and out of gas. I mean, you know, with Capella and John Collins and Bogdanovich. So, I mean, he didn't have much of a chance. But, like, that fifth game, Jimmy Butler wasn't even playing. And it was just, like, he was, like, not even running the play at the end of the, the game. It's just, all right, this is pathetic. Uh, let's see so two more here. John Moran. Yeah.
1: Stock up. I thought that he you know we, we got to see more of it in that wolf series it is an important note that the Grizzlies defense got significantly more stout when he got hurt they got they got worse overall as a team but that he is the weak point and they were they were pretty damn good defensively but I, I would say that the overall performance for him you know and especially considering in some ways that he was coming off of an injury he had a little bit more time to recover but I thought he did well enough in the Minnesota series and the start of the Warriors series like there were times that they just couldn't stop
0: him. I would say stock neutral for a few reasons one he got hurt like he was hurt at the end of the season I don't know how much that played into him getting hurt again but he couldn't finish that series we were concerned about that uh he had that huge dunk obviously they had those big comebacks against Minnesota I thought that was a disappointing series in the aggregate though for John Morant and not a amazing playoff defense he was below 50 percent true shooting 29 usage 16 percent turnovers that was disappointing he had the one great game against Golden State where they won that game too when they just never did anything other than send him left. And, and I thought he actually figured out some of their new coverages in Game 3, and then he got hurt. Like he was, he was playing very well offensively in Game 3, but then they couldn't stop anybody and had one of the worst defensive games playoff history in that Game 3 against Golden State. So he's about the same for me, I, I would say, particularly with the, the injuries manifesting.
1: Last one to discuss, Devin Booker. He did have the hamstring.
0: That's a mitigating factor. Didn't do much in the last three games of that series. You know, he, he's in, in the 10 to 15 range. I don't think I would really change things.
1: I wouldn't either that much and and there were a lot of reasons why that game seven collapse happened I don't put a lot of that at the feet of Devin Booker some of it yeah. but not all of it
0: uh, oh I'm sorry there is one two other guys I'd say we have to discuss okay Jimmy Butler's got stop. oh I, yeah I, I, I mean that's I had him at 17 and no I mean he's probably he's got a leapfrog into that Tatum and George group at a minimum
1: I think uh, he does it's it's sort of the Steph Curry argument where he does based on what we saw but I'm not sure that he will a year from now because he'll be a year older yeah Yeah, but but again if we're trying to
0: predict how this playoffs is going to go i mean jimmy butler yeah he had some bad games dealt with his own injury issues that's part of why i had him ranked lower when we're talking about a full season and then a playoffs and uh but he did really dominate in all three series and and that game six against boston is an absolute all-timer uh yeah so no no, he's not gonna be below trio no he's not gonna be below Devin book so no i mean you could talk about him and tatum and george and even like but he's got to be in the lower end of the top 10 um and, and again like someone who i think really finally cemented a hall of fame case with his playoffs this year if he had not done so already I would agree. Uh, and then Bam out of bio, I had it 18. I think you had him lower. I, I did say. Uh, would you move him up? I, I think you. It's hard for me to put him above some of these on-ball guys, but it, and his offense very much waxed and when He had one good game really against the Celtics where he took over, and other than that, didn't do much offensively. But I mean, defensively, he caused massive problem for wh- whoever he was
1: going. Especially to me in that Hawks series, he was incredibly <sighs> disruptive, and and I, also I mean, you- in any suit like there was nobody he was guarding at any time
0: that was a problem anything again right I I mean maybe Joel ducking in everyone's well but you like his relentless activity like he wore Joel out like Joel couldn't even get the ball by the end of that series
1: right so yeah I I think I think I'd move him up a little but I don't think it like pushes him into the top 10 or anything like that for me
0: yeah Jalen Brown would probably have to be moved up a little bit uh, after this I, I had him like way down in like the low or, or I'm sorry the high 20s Draymond was low 20s I, I think he I, that's probably about right for him based on these maybe uh, he, he did have some offensive issues so may, maybe I would I, I don't know that I would necessarily move him up based on these playoffs even though they did win the championship like he, he was up and down at times very very good very important but I, I thought I, he was kind of properly rated he, he probably higher than a lot of people would have had him in the B at 23 for me.
1: Oh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, we did see kind of you could say inspired by these playoffs that you know that tim connelly felt that he can't be the guy defensively and those limitations were a a key factor in how that series went but towns was also he had some unbelievable offensive moves so towns overall numbers in case we've forgotten it because that series feels like a lifetime and a half ago 64 percent true shooting on 25 usage or for those who like per game stats 22 points 10.8 rebounds two blocks 2.2 assists
0: yeah, now I will say he laid a complete egg in that game against the Clippers. The usage is too low, right? That's even if he's efficient, twenty six percent usage, and then the, the minutes are obviously too low from that series as well. So I okay, I would say stock down for him at least a little bit. I'm not sure like who I would move him below or anything, but it, even though he was able to score efficiently, uh there's also obviously problems defensively. They, they saw enough of him defensively to go acquire Rudy Gobert, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that, that that might be an indication of how he played. Defensively defense in these playoffs I, I sorry we got to do a, a couple more here i mean kyrie irving's got to go down sure. he, he quietly had a, a terrible series against the celtics as well i had him at 20 donovan mitchell i had at 21 it's probably rough might go down a little bit
1: slight uh, a slight there. bit I, I i would have him down but not much yeah, yeah. i don't or think he, he changes too
0: he's got to go down for sure chris paul i had at 15 and i felt bad about having him below the trey job booker lillard group and i you know he had some ridiculous dominant games at times but he also just my biggest concern why I had him at below that group was can he really maintain that level of usage throughout a season throughout a game throughout a series and the ultimate answer was that he could not and whether it was because he was injured again in the playoffs it's always something but that's that's part of the the legacy here too and I mean clearly that game seven is just a massive stain on anyone who was involved in it for Phoenix but uh, other than
1: except for Abdul Nader except for Abdul he's Scott
0: well he wasn't even on the team anymore. i
1: know i know i was joking yeah
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> all right well some people might have not know okay this is this is interesting to do though i mean obviously this will, these some of this analysis is going to very much affect what we look at next year for this uh, but really interesting to look back on on a lot of this and see what was right and, and you know we kind of saw it coming with curry but not even enough and but i did still think he was good enough to lead the warriors to a championship i thought you did as well and i think that that was probably our best call uh, of the That ranking to to have him even in that you know tier from three to five, I I think was we bet on him being able to still be able to do that, and and that turned out more so even than we would have been. And probably big biggest mistake is Jimmy Butler way too right. All right, well this was fun. It's great to get back out here and actually talk a little bit. I I made it through okay. I think I was still coherent by the end. Sometimes I, I can't even tell anymore. But uh, we'll be back on the try to get you a few more. We're gonna do Spotify Live tomorrow for me and Danny, and then John and I will be back on Spotify Live on wednesday john and i should be out again with another pod and Dan- daniel will get you at least one more this week and uh, we're gonna start really getting into i think our summer league film so uh, and you know as much as we can get done for you we will try and get into you this week talk to you all soon